the Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Dereya. We are delighted to present our new and accessible mini-series, the Innovation Series. Aimed at young professionals, the Innovation Series sits within the Jazz Shapers offering, helping to navigate career choices and provide the confidence to get ahead. I'm Natasha Knight, and today I'm joined by none other than Julie Dean OBE, founder and CEO at the Cambridge Satchel Company. Julie graduated from Cambridge University in 1987 and took up work as a chartered accountant before setting up her company in 2007. The Cambridge Satchel Company is now a handmade in Britain, worldwide phenomenon, employing more than 130 people and selling to over 100 countries. In December 2014, Julie was appointed an officer of the Order of the British Empire, receiving an OBE for services to entrepreneurship. Julie is committed to preserving British manufacturing, a luxury rarely afforded by startup businesses. We'll be diving into Julie's decision to start the Cambridge Satchel Company. I needed them to go to a really, really good school, so I thought, right, we, I've got to make school fees. The perspective her children have given her. Don't panic too much about having to know exactly what you want to do for the rest of your life because I just don't think that that is reasonable. And the tips she'd love to share for anyone looking to get started in retail and manufacturing. Making that decision to axe my manufacturing and step away from my supply chain (laughs) at the moment when I had greatest demand was a brave and questionable (laughs) decision. All that and more to come. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been in retail and you've been in manufacturing for over a decade now. And that is quite an expansive amount of time, especially given how much has possibly changed. And I wanted to get your your opinion on, you know, as someone that really champions British manufacturing in particular, have you noticed a tidal shift in the way the industry works or does it still operate on the same basic tenets? For you, have you seen kind of massive changes overall? There's a, there's a massive, massive change. And I think that the pandemic and the yeah. climate crisis and, you know, there are such huge shifts and that has made people aware of the importance of supporting local, yeah. you know, whether it's your local butcher, your local fishmonger, you know, and, and supporting the people that you want to still have around. Um, I think that it's it's also made people less eager to to buy yeah cheap yeah. stuff that maybe comes from a very long way away and people have suffered in the making of mm. that stuff um to produce something that you don't actually even care about you know that that the importance hopefully of buying fewer things better made that will last a long time and that you're really sort of proud of yeah. of having. Um, I, I think that there's far more awareness around, um, around all of that. And I was speaking to, to somebody yesterday um, and they were in the US and they work with brands that have had a lot of their um, merchandise made Mm. in China 
And they were doing it because of, you know, cost constraints. And But suddenly their supply chain, oh my gosh, it's become so long. They said suddenly things that they used to order, you know, f- for four months ahead and now nine months ahead because of all the problems people are having with, you know, traveling and logistics and, you know, all kinds of supply chain problems. Um, whereas we we make our things in, in Syston. The workshops are in Syston, just outside Leicester. And we had a uh, an, uh, an idea for, uh, we've got a, a bag that's called the Bowls bag. It's like a cylinder. It's a really yeah. cool looking bag. And then suddenly, when when I was looking at all the things that were going on in in the fashion weeks in September, and there was so much houndstooth around, I thought, let's put some houndstooth around a bowls bag. That would be really yeah. interesting. You know, that bag was sampled and on sale in just over oh, a week, wow. it, and and so that is a a massive yeah. advantage of of having n- not only your own manufacturing but manufacturing that is based in the UK because that turnaround That's is amazing. possible. Yeah. And when we try to make tweaks to bags, whether it's for someone that has a special need for a bag, mm. we can do that because there isn't it's not just a massive yeah. commodity. You know, it when something is made locally and and it's made by hand, you you can make it a lot more personal. And I think that that's definitely the way that I've seen things shift. Can we take it back a little bit? And I would love to ask you about your school years. So did you excel in any subjects in particular at school? Or was that kind of something you found that wasn't your forte? No, I excelled at school in everything except (laughs) uh, games, which I hated (laughs) with a passion. (laughs) I was caught on the back of a milk float going around the cross country thing to having a bit of a, (laughs) having a bit of a a sneaky sort of, um, yeah, games to sit, that doesn't awful because I thought it was a waste of time. And herein is my problem. I fixate, I fixate on what am I trying to achieve and anything that's not in line with that, i.e. games, I just have no interest in and anything that I'm not particularly good at so I think that art fell under that Mr mm. Roberts sort of like snorting at my attempt to draw a horse's head it was enough to turn me off that but I had a really good memory and that made me good at exams and so you know going along with the kind of like if I'm good at it uh, I really like it I, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, in particular, was there any subject that you felt was indicative of your future career? I mean, obviously you launched the company some 13 years ago. I but know, was, I know. Yeah, but you, um, your previous well, background, yeah, was yeah. there anything that led towards it? The thing is, I think that there is something that's indicative <laughs> and that is a very diverse range of interests. So I would say that my favorite um, subjects were maths and chemistry and then I did go on to to study a very sort of I did natural sciences as my sort of um, degree and master's and so you know I do I do love my numbers and my facts and figures and I do love a good graph so <laughs> <laughs> living through the pandemic is you know <laughs> I'm the last person to um, tune away when the graphs come on you know it all happens for me there 
but I did absolutely love English and English lit and even what we used to call, you know, scripture. And so it's, it's a wide variety, which I would say in, in setting up and managing Cambridge Satchel is still true because not only do I love going into the sort of the, the back end of the website and looking at all the percentages and the conversions or in shops, the footfall and, you know, how long people are in the shop and what they look like and all this customer journey and customer path, all those kinds of facts and figurey things. I really love writing, copywriting, writing emails, writing, you know, the the things that, that go out as emails or copy for the website or I really, really enjoy that. So I think that is one of the huge advantages of when you do run your own business, you can really get stuck into all different kinds of ideas that maybe if you're in a more structured environment, someone above you would say, no, you're not doing that because actually you're not very good at it. I mean, I love that. I think, yeah, the take home here feels like being multifaceted is no is no bad thing. Being um, kind of a bit a good, good, at, good no. at a lot of things or quite good at a lot of things sounds like... Um, served you well. well and reasonable you know reasonable good enough and and resourceful so I remember having a big order in the very early days we were still you know from home me and my mum and urban outfitters in America had ordered from us and we got everything packed up into these boxes but then they said we needed this kind of like nylon and steel clasped strapping around the boxes because they were going obviously a long way. And um, and so I, I just thought, how do you even do that? You know, most people, I suppose, have distribution centers and um, and people who know what they're doing, but it was me and my mom, we, we got in a box. Um, I'd got a double-sided box because it was going a long way, but now this added complication of a nylon and steel clawed strapping thing, you know, I knew what they meant, but I think that that's where the whole thing of don't overthink it, just then go on to eBay. And, and I found one of the, it's, it's just a little handheld sort of gizmo really that does it. But when it came, it didn't come with instructions in English. That was a bit of a headache. But then on YouTube, there was a really helpful man that was somewhere like near Nottingham showing how to use one of these things. And I'm really grateful to him because otherwise, Urban Outfitters would not have had their boxes <laughs> with their strapping on. Um, so I think it's this like willingness to think I can learn literally from anywhere yeah. and anyone. Yeah. Um, there isn't just one way to pick up good skills. Yeah, I think that's a lovely way to put it. What attracted you to get into retail and to manufacturing? Was there one particular thing that you thought, oh, this is absolutely my calling or was it a combination of factors? No, no. I mean, literally, I had to make school fees. Mm. For my kids to go to a decent school and stop going to a blooming miserable school. And I needed them to go to a really, really good school. Yeah. So I thought, right, we well, I've got to make school fees. And, and then it's like, come up with a list of 10 things that I can do as a business to make school fees. Because I'd been, you know, I was full time at home with them at that stage. And I, I really didn't want to give up the flexibility of, of taking them to school, picking them up from school, or if they're ill, you know, being able to look after them at home. And so it has to be a, a do-it-yourself, you know, some kind of business from that I could run from home. 
Um, and and so that's why it was a I'm going to be self-employed decision. Um, and and then it was just down to which of these ten ten things can possibly make enough to pay for school fees. You know, and it's good to be grounded. I think that's the thing. It's it's really good to know what what is going to work for you, what do you need from it at your different stages of life. Because there will be people that want to think, oh, I want to make a fortune and buy supercars and a boat and I need an exit plan and I'm going to copy what somebody else has done and I'm going to find backers from day one and all this kind of thing. But but that isn't the vast majority of people who are self-employed, you know. And I, I say that with authority because I did the Prime Minister's review of self-employment in the UK. So I feel like, you know, I, I, I know yeah. that, you know, is a, is a fact. And, and I think particularly at the moment when people are thinking, I just want a more balanced life. You know, I want to be happy. I've got enormous problems with mental health and, you know, there's just a lot of sadness and anxiety and stress around. And so if people are able to think, do I know myself well enough to know what I need and what I need to be happy, then how can I tailor the business I want to do so that it enables me to do that and and not run away with this need to to think I'm going to value myself by how many hours I stare at a screen or how much money I've made. It sounds like there's already some take-homes there, but what would you say to someone who is interested in starting their own business up, but particularly within your sector? Is there anything you'd say to them if they're just starting out? Well, I think that it's a really, really good thing is to try lots of different things and really throw yourself into it, knowing that this might not be what you end up doing for your entire life. But if you have a good attitude, you can really pick up a lot of insight and tips. Because, you know, I didn't know at 20 what I would end up doing. You know, I I didn't know that at all. But I did, like, weird thing. I did waitressing in a Greek taverna. I did, I just did loads of weird things. But from every single thing that I did, I look back now and I think, well, when we look at the shops and the customer journey and all this kind of thing, I, I think back to what I learned when I was doing my waitressing job, you know, and you do, you, you learn interesting and useful things from every single thing you do. So don't panic too much about having to know exactly what you want to do for the rest of your life because I just don't think that that is reasonable. I, I just don't think it's realistic. But I think that if you can look at opportunities that, that come your way and think, I'm going to say yes to these and get something from them. You know, I, I knew that I didn't want to be, I'm not really going to be a, a sort of a, a lifetime career accountant. But I do have an accountancy qualification, you know, and and I did work for for some years um, with with Deloitte and and then with PwC, and from those years, 
I just learned so much. You know, I picked up so much. And I think that that put me in a very, very strong position when I did come around to the point of thinking, I'm going to start my own business now, you know, because I had a very solid foundation. And so working for places like John Lewis, they give great training and great customer service training, working for different places that can give you a good training in those early years is no bad thing at all. Absolutely. Thinking back to obviously when you made that decision to move into starting your own business out of necessity, but then obviously it became yes. quite its own wonderful thing. What for you felt like the big step up moment or the big, we might actually make this moment? There were two moments that kind of spring to yeah. mind. There was the the moment when we did the fluorescent satchels mm. that was so, so bright. It was actually made out of like <laughs> health and safety <laughs> kind of safety safety vest yellow which you know WGSN would never trend forecast that <laughs> that one um and and because I placed those fluorescent satchels with bloggers that were going to New York Fashion Week shows you know and 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 when the lights went down and, and the photographers were taking all their their sort of flashing photography of these very expensive shows these these cheeky fluorescent bags popped out all over and and there was a little bit of a, a, a hijacking of somebody's <laughs> very tasteful show um but but from that you know we we had literally thousands and thousands wow. and thousands of of orders on a quite hokey website you know and <laughs> That was an incredible moment. And it was a moment that tested my bravery, I think, because now when, you know, on our e-com, um, very often people will say, oh, we only have a few units of this left. We mustn't oversell, so we'll take it off. And I mean, I had people ordering like <laughs> thousands of bags that I did not have in stock. And it didn't even cross my mind to take it off the website because it's like, well, when people order, I'll just let them know there's going to be a wait because, you know, but they they should keep their place in the line and be patient and they will get it. And that kind of worked out really well. That worked out really, really well. I think the other massive step up moment for me, which felt like the worst possible moment ever, was when my manufacturer, I found, was stealing the leather, putting it in a lockup across the road and trying to poach my customers. Um, and and just being faced with that that horrible kind of like, oh, you know, he is my biggest manufacturer. I have 16,000 bags on back order. <laughs> oh, um, but I know that he's doing this awful thing to me. How can I possibly continue to work with him? And that was a real wrangle. That was a really horrible, horrible moment. And I only had like 10 weeks until the Comme des Garçons Paris Fashion Week show, and we were making bags for them. But at that moment, I just knew I, I can't actually work with this person. They are beyond mm. despicable. Mm. They're horrible. They're absolutely awful. And I'll never trust them again. So they've got to go. And, and making that decision to axe my manufacturing. And um, <laughs> there's a, a good way of, what's, how would we describe it? Step away from my supply chain. 
at the moment when I had greatest demand yeah. was a brave and questionable decision, but was made a lot easier when, you know, I actually faced this man and, and sort of told him that what I was going to do. And he, he just turned to me and said, well, you've got no choice. You'll be back. You're a stupid woman and you don't know about manufacturing. And wow. and in that instant, I just knew I'd done the right thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then I made that decision to start my own workshops and my own factory from yeah. nothing with no knowledge of manufacturing. But it worked out, you know, and uh, and so that was a, a, a massively stressful, scary moment. But taking things one step at a time, you know, one step at a time and not thinking, Oh my God, you know, I'm going to fire the manufacturer. I've got 16,000 bags on back order. What am I going to do? Because that's overwhelming. Mm. But but trying to put the blinkers on and thinking, this man is actually stealing from me. I can't work with him anymore. Th that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, and so he has to go. That made sense to me. And then thinking, I can't go through this again. I'm going to have to take control of, of my own manufacturing. And then thinking, well, actually, this awful, horrific, nasty person is probably an awful person to work for, too. Yeah. And so, you know, if if the place that I start up is very close to his place, then maybe a lot of the people who work <laughs> for him will choose you. to move over. And, you know, and, and that ended up being the case. And they did know about yeah. manufacturing and you don't have to do it all yourself. And... You know, it's just one, if you do it one step at a time, it's fine. But more than one step is very overwhelming. Yeah, I think that's sage advice. I mean, my final question really is, mm. what is for you the most rewarding aspect to holding your own and having such a wonderful company to kind of call yours? What for you is kind of the, the most wonderful thing about the Cambridge Satchel Company? It's quite unique, I think in showing how doable it is. The fact that this woman who is in her late 40s had just had an eight-year career break <laughs> to bring up her children, <laughs> decided to code her own website, go into an area that she knew nothing about, and then start a factory and work with Comme de Garçon and Vivian Westwood and, yeah. and, and real kind of like royalty and start it all with just £600 and never put the family home at risk. <laughs> you know, if, if you can't look at that and think, oh my God, if she can do it, then yes, yeah. I'm going to give this a go. Yeah. And, and if you can't look at that and think, look how that transformed her life and the life of her children and created this brand that has has actually never done anything that would cause anybody embarrassment. You know, yeah. I think that we have been ethical. All the leather, the leather that we use is a byproduct of the meat industry. Otherwise, it would go into landfill. So it stands mm -hmm. the sustainability mm -hmm. kind of test. But, oh, the adventures, you know, the, the craziness, the insanity of thinking, this is the person then... That, that went on to get a CBE. You know, this is a person that 
travelled to Detroit with Richard Branson to, to mentor some companies. She had literally no experience of this before doing it. If you can't find that gives you hope, then I really don't know, you know, what more could. So that is the biggest gift of the Cambridge Satchel Company is its hopeful ability to inspire others. The Mishcon Innovation Series, in association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. Find out how some of the best business leaders started out. Each week, the Mishcon Innovation Series dives into a different industry and asks our entrepreneurial leaders how they got there. They reveal what worked, what went wrong, and how they fixed it. Perfect for budding business people looking to access an entrepreneurial world. <laughs>